Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 213th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that will be there to hold your hand when they let you out of the house. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. M- at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as always, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. Good evening, listeners. We're uh, another week into quarantine here, and I am setting uh, personal records for grocery store shopping lists. How is it going uh, up there? It's kind of like if we were running a ski and snowboard podcast, and then 10 years from now, the climate change just melts all the snow, (laughs) and you got to pivot to being a surfing podcast. There's just plenty of waves and and inundated coastal communities. <laughs> I my uh, my wife and I went shopping yesterday, and the receipt when we were finished was as tall as my wife is, like tip yeah. to, tip to toe was the length of her. Because we're like, all right, we're gonna shoot for like four weeks of food here. Uh, because we're both at elevated risk levels, so we're trying to really minimize our exposure. So we drove an hour out outside of the city to a rural grocery store, picked up a bunch of stuff, and are now locked in the house again for hopefully a month. With the and with the American peak expected in two to three weeks, hopefully that means we can coast through and not have to leave again until we're on the downswing from that. Some insane amount of additional cases in the tens of thousands. Just yesterday in the U.S., right? Like, yeah, I scary times. I don't, I don't track the numbers too closely. Um, I mean, it's, it's just so easy to become lost in that stuff and hopelessly depressed. But I did, I, you, you know, you, you get, you don't need to see the numbers to just kind of have a, uh, a gut feeling of how it's going. And I don't know if people caught this, but a, I believe it was a Navy ship. Uh, f- sailed into New York City yesterday, and it's a hospital ship, as far as I understand. It's like the USS Mercy or something like that. Um, and it was floating through the Bay of New York City around Manhattan, there to provide relief and essentially act as a large hospital uh, for treating COVID in New York City, which is like the hottest spot in America right now. And there were photos of people shoulder to shoulder standing at the water's edge to take photos of this boat. And I mean, like thousands of people got together, packed in to watch this boat ship, ship float by. And it's like, are you goddamn kidding me? Look at that boat. Look at that boat you're taking a photo of. Why are they here? Why are they here? Because of the inf- <laughs> because, because of the infection that's spreading through the city at an alarming rate. And you're all standing out here and most of you aren't wearing masks. Like, oh my God. You look at, you look at those photos and you're like, mm, I'm going to be on quarantine until August. Like this is this is how people are behaving. We're going to be stuck in our houses. We'll be lucky to see each other at Christmas. Yeah, we finally broke and went outdoors on on the weekend. We took uh, Alara rollerblading where she was in like one of her her strollers, and uh, we were on blades, and we're Can buzzing away through from streets. It. We were getting so much cut eye from people on their porches. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're the only ones out here. This is this is safer. The most dangerous thing we touched today was our elevator. The, mm-hmm. the death trap choke point for our whole situation. Mm-hmm. 37 floors of don't breathe. Yeah, man, that's brutal. I, you know, we're that, that's got to suck living in a building like that. You know, I, I, there are plenty of times and days where I wish I lived in a city 
Um, and I always envisioned myself owning a condo before I owned a house. But at the moment, our house, <laughs> uh, you know, we're on three quarters of an acre. You know, we our front yard is a, is a river. And I'm like, it is really nice to be able to just walk out into the backyard and stretch your legs and take the dogs out for a walk. And there's a parkway in front of us. I'm like, man, this is it's nice to have this available to me because if I actually couldn't leave the house without getting into an elevator, this, that, then it would be rough. We're very fortunate because we have a very large, well-financed corporate landlord. So building's running fine and really helps that I've already been working from home for 20 years. And Alitza being able to pivot and working from the our third bedroom is huge. It, to, if you were a, a family of like six or something and you were in a two bedroom and it was 1200 square feet or something i i'm not surprised to hear that there are that domestic squabbles are way up oh are they and i would imagine i would i would imagine that there are going to be some fairly concerning abuse statistics by by the end of this whole process when you put caged animals in a room together for a long period of time oh that's a little a little grim yep uh yeah i i i have we we've been fine. Our our house is is big enough that like if we ever really get on each other's nerves, we can just sort of walk away to the other room. Uh, I think we've handled it quite well. Some of my friends, I think, are a little more at their throats with their significant others. I'll tell you, this is certainly a test for relationships. If you come out of this living with somebody and you're not ready to slit each other's throats, there's going to be a huge pent up demand for magic tournaments and divorce court by the time this is over. Yeah. And- um, Although I do, I, I worry about the other side of things too. Like we've got friends who are single and who are either estranged from or far away from the rest of their family. Mm-hmm. And as much as it is additionally stressful to have all of us, you know, stuck here at home, it's probably at worse or equally as bad from a different angle for the people that are just stuck at home alone. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just them. It's just them and Netflix and jerking off and. Go get another cookie, and that's the whole day. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it gets raw eventually. I have a uh, relative who moved to an, uh, a state away um, within the last couple of months and doesn't really have a, much of a social net at all there yet, but now has been in isolation for two weeks. And you're in an unfamiliar city. You don't really know anyone, and now you can't leave your apartment you know, it's a it's a small apartment. It's not even really fully furnished yet because they just got there. They're not a computer nerd, so they don't have like a, a media center set up to entertain themselves. They don't have a lot of money yet, so they haven't like really bought nice stuff to keep them occupied at home. And I'm like, you know, my wife and I are fine. There's the two of us. We got the dogs. We got plenty to keep us busy if we need to house projects and what have you. But, you know, imagine being stuck in like a six or 700 square foot apartment with not much more than a laptop and no one you basically see nobody for days and weeks on end. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, you know, I invited them out to stay with us, but I don't know if it's going to come through, uh, unfortunately. And I, I feel I feel bad for them because that would be a, that would be tough to deal with. So my heart goes out to everyone in a similar situation. Yeah, the introverts are probably a lot better off uh, than some of the like ADD extroverts who are used to going out and socializing like all the time and are just going loopy. <laughs> I'm also like. I was looking at it online the other day because I was wondering if there was like some kind of volunteer service where I could like make use of the car that Ellie doesn't need to drive around her lessons right now because she switched to doing her lessons online for the clients that were into it. 
Um, so, so I could, in theory, have volunteered to go, like, say, deliver groceries to old people or something. But then I remembered I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. And you've got this, like, di- this tension of, yeah, I could go try to play hero here and help out, but I don't want to be the dad that, like, gets his kid sick. Like, a one-year-old just died the other day. And the stats on that happening are percentage chances, like, getting hit by lightning so far. But this thing could mutate. We don't really understand that much about it yet. Like, it's it's crazy being a parent. Like, you just don't want to take any risks. Yeah. And and then I think about the, the nurses and the doctors. Like, my dad's going to be on the front lines in Ohio. And, of course, all of his children are grown up and, you know, and, and doing fine. But, you know, if you were a nurse on the front lines in New York City and you've got two kids at home stuck with your, your significant other and you're not 100% sure you're ever going to get to see them again because by working, you're essentially in quarantine until it's all over. Mm-hmm. My heart goes out to them. That's just absolutely crazy. Yeah. Yeah. This is rough for everyone. I, uh, but we're definitely on the, the lesser impacted side. Neither of us, both of us can pivot to working from home without any serious interruption. You know, we have a setup that we're able to weather this pretty well. Um, but it sucks, it sucks for a lot of people. So, you know, I'm, I'm trying to support others where I can. Um, but that's a, a serious toll you know you're talking about, also you're talking about a pent-up demand for magic tournaments and divorce papers uh and you kind of wonder if september october november december there's going to be a small bumper crop of babies you know we had yep. the we had the 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 boomers are called boomers because they were part of the baby boom which were children born after world war ii and now you'll have uh covid babies you know the covid generation people born <laughs> because their parents were cooped up in the house for six weeks straight and what else are you going to do there was definitely some university relationships i wouldn't have minded being sequestered for six months more yeah uh so yeah i'm I'm sure some people are having are having a a decent time in between having random fights (laughs) a a better time than i am probably (laughs) uh yeah so yeah one of the biggest questions Probably the the most prevalent theme in my inbox this week has been, is the sky falling? Is it all over? Is MTG Finance dead? Um, You know, we had, there's tons of naysayers out there right now and people that aren't just quite sure where this is all going to end. So I'll, I'll tell the listeners, reiterate to the listeners my two cents, the same thing I've been telling people all week. Stuff's going to get worse before it gets better. That's for sure. We're going to be talking later about how some prominent buy lists have been suspended for the time being. You got significant risk of a bunch of LGSs going belly up this year. GPs uh, have been canceled out to a certain point. We'll get into the details on that. So, yeah, paper magic's really hurting. And Wizards has pushed back the Ikoria release, um, at least for the English-speaking world. And all of that adds up to... Most of your speculative activity being put on pause. Yeah. Now, does that mean you should be... I think the, the ultimate question, you know, that's on people's minds is, should I be dumping my collection now before it gets even worse? And I think that the answer to that is the same thing we said a couple of weeks ago, which is it depends on how bad you need the money. If you are caught out here and you were making X per hour and that's, you know, your household income has been slashed to zero... And if you're in the U.S., you're going to get a maybe get a $1,200 check and then they're not going to give you anything else so far. Um, then, yeah, you, you might want to consider, you know, dumping your the stuff that is the lowest hanging fruit in terms of highest value 
uh, stuff you are easy, like most okay with letting go. And, you know, you lose two, three, four, five of your most expensive cards and maybe that feeds your family for a month. Then, you, yeah, that's a good choice. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in a position where you feel more secure, if you can wait six or 12 months and be okay with your specs being put on pause, then I think that's the right answer because either the society is decimated to the point where we're in Mad Max territory and none of this matters, like you're, you're not going to care about any of it, or there's going, you know, the world is going to work its way through this as it tends to do. And in six or 12 months, you're going, things are going to see a very significant elastic rebound. Now, I don't think that that means that, you know, if they let us out of the house tomorrow, I think you'd see pretty much an immediate snap back to where things were pretty close to it because not that much damage will have been done. So a lot of this depends on how long we're sequestered. If it goes on to three months, I think that's when you're going to start hearing about large numbers of LGSs being in real trouble. If it goes to six, you could have a major vendor go down or two. Um, you know, CFB always or, already looks a little shaky from the signals that are, have been being sent. Um, even organizations like TCG Player are well-funded, but are still on a runway. Like, TCG Player is not, still has investors they have to answer to. Um, and then if things drag on to nine or 12 months, then yeah, they, this entire, the entire collectibles industry, and Magic specifically, will be knocked back quite a ways it would be like rolling back the clock five or ten years and then they would need to rebuild but but in that circumstance that's going to be true pretty much across the board i mean the only some of the only segments that won't be affected will be things like video games and netflix where they're the remaining things that you can do and spend money on and so everyone is doing them Mm -hmm. Uh, zoom i noticed zoom stock is up like a hundred percent or something zoomed up all started (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so, I, got, I got that as well. I'd never so even it, heard it of that. Depends program. on how it depends on how, how far this goes. I, my best guess is that politicians are not going to let this go much beyond midsummer with attempting some kind of solution, whether it's a rushed vaccine or, uh, you know, city by city relaxation of policies. You know, work two days a week or something. Start try to start kick starting things again. It's going to be an evolving subject, and I suspect that they will inch their way towards it based on the feedback they're getting from hospital tallies. And trouble is, if you're if you're in a country that has a pretty decent collection of stats, is testing a lot and reporting accurately, then that will be a lot safer than in the countries that have been either pretending that it's not happening, Mexico, Russia, etc., um, or in the case of Canada, you know, we've got our response overall has been pretty good, except because it's socialized healthcare, you can't just walk in and get a test for free. The doctors are, are reserving the tests for the people that need them the most, that are the most obviously symptomatic. And so we are probably underreporting as is happening in many other places. So uh, it's going to be a complex situation. And, uh, you know, we'll continue to try to keep on, on top of it as it evolves. Our we have a very off topic covid uh channel set up on our discord that people are making heavy use of where we're trying to gather the best information we can to help the folks in our community so feel free to pop in there if you need some uh, you want to try to get the straight goods on the latest information from scientists and 
good good uh, authenticated data sources. Help the people in our computer community uh, make and save money planner. Oh wait, no, hold on, sorry, that's the, the wrong purpose of that channel. Uh, Stay alive. <laughs> yeah, which seems pretty relevant these days. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. It's you know, is this is this a month long thing? Uh, then pretty much everything stamps back. Uh, does it keep going? Well, it gets the outlook gets more grim with every month pass, and you know, I'm I'm looking at the uh status in america across the board in a variety of manners and it does not look like this is going to be over anytime soon refer to my comment about all of those people stand you know crowding shoulder to shoulder look at the boat coming and uh, you can see why i'm not anticipating this being over quickly um i i do think that we might actually end up actually just like full isolation uh until june or july i don't think that's unreasonable and it could be longer i would love to be wrong but it certainly seems like that's the direction we're headed so and i agree and i agree if this if this turns around quickly a lot of people will spring right back to buying cards and what have you but if this drags on and it really puts a burden on people's finances they're not going to be able to jump back into buying magic cards right away i I think your safest bet is to assume at least three months and possibly six yeah go from there yeah, like cool. the whole the whole summer could get burned here pretty easily. Yeah, it would be a bummer. Seriously, especially for those of us that live in the Great White North. But as long as I'm still alive and breathing at the end of it, and nothing's hurt my kid, I'll I'll suck up the rest. Yeah, right. Well, you know, the other thing to consider is that uh, I'm glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at coolstuffinc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. We are using our altered format again this week. You want to run it down for people? Yeah, we're uh, basically avoiding paper cards in some capacity for the time being, simply because what else are we supposed to do? Um, it's all, so all down, all down, or even more. Or yeah, less. yeah, nothing, nothing going on. I did sell a Jingataxis this week, so somebody said you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna brave the storms and play edh with my friends and i'm gonna be a complete jerk about it at the same time (laughs) um so our show comes to you in three parts well four four parts this week segment one the mt the mtgo metagame week interview where we will poke through uh, a standard magic fest arena weekly championship um, there was a Pioneer Preliminary recently, as well as a Modern Super Qualifier, which I think Modern's a little bigger on MTGO than it is in paper these days, so a little more relevant there than it, we have been um, making it in previous weeks. Uh, segment two, our top MTGO movers will look through the pile of cards that have jumped the most in price this week on Moto. You're going to hear us use those terms interchangeably, by the way, MTGO and Moto. Uh, for those uninitiated, Moto, M-O-D-O, stands for Magic Online Digital Object. At some point in time, that was a term in common parlance, and now it is a hard Bizarrely. Term. Yeah, so yeah, I don't know why people chose to call the platform Moto when a Moto was a single object, but you know how culture and language goes. But uh, that's what 
Moto means. Segment three, our topic of the week. Uh, lots of COVID-related activity. Um, Channel Fireball and Miniature Market both have suspended their buy lists. Uh, a new batch of GPs has been canceled and with the announcement that July will be reviewed in May, uh, Mage Market has like shut down. So a couple topics there to talk about and what that kind of means. So we'll try to avoid digging into those too much before we get to segment three, but you know how we do. Uh, and then segment four, our MTGO cards to watch. We don't have anything. We don't have like a list of specific cards and buying and buy and sell prices in the same fashion because we're not quite there yet and being able to recommend purchases to you guys. We want to be able to give you information that we are confident really getting behind. And um, I think both of us and especially me aren't, don't want to put our names behind anything that uh, we're not confident in. So we'll give you some information, but that, that, that segment's going to look a little, little bit different for the time being. So all that said, let's hop in here at the top. Segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review will kick stuff off with the uh, standard Magic Fast Arena Weekly Championship. Yeah, uh, so this one's actually not Magic Online because to hear tell, the way that the Magic community has shifted here is that because Arena is set up to support standard pretty well, and um, that's where Wizards has chosen to direct people's attention for these big online tournaments they're starting to run to you know, pivot and try to capture the digital market share that they're going to need to keep generating cash flow. Um, it sounds like arena is where it's at if you're into standard and then everything else is over on magic online, which is not news. Like that's how arena has been. Um, but because, uh, of this massive tournament, um, or series of massive tournaments that they're going to be running through arena, you're going to see a lot of the standard reporting based off that platform. So there was a this was the uh, qualifying for the Magic Fest online weekly championship via daily qualifiers, and then the weekly championship was reported over on Star City, uh, March thirtieth, so yesterday, and the top eight decks were Racto Sacrifice, Racto Sacrifice, Bant Ramp, Teamer Reclamation, Four Color Super Friends, which I assume is Fires plus uh, Kenrith, etc. Simic Ramp, Bant Ramp, and Sultai Midrange. And it was uh, Sultai Midrange that took it all down, beating Racto Sacrifice in the finals. Okay, a uh, nice little overview there. I see uh, some Pelucranos Unchained here in the Sultai Midrange deck in Standard. Um, that was a card that when we saw it spoiled didn't really jump out at me as one of the one of the best mythics in the set um but get some play here uh which is news to me a little bit and and i'll tell you one of the things that i'm definitely starting to track is excellent paper cards that will float down the longer this pushes on and snap back fastest when the time comes and uro titan of nature's wrath certainly has to be close to the top of that list because if people are allowed to play Paper Magic again come the fall, Uro will still have a year left in Standard. That's typically when you're going to expect a Mythic to get expensive. And it's already a multi-format super staple. So currently I think, you know, if copies of this got down into like the say $15 range at the tail end of this madness, I would certainly be looking to pick some up. Sure, I think that's fair. Um, you know, recognize what performs well. In the abstract, you know, uh, bef 
strictly online and then you know if we get back to paper in a relatively familiar time frame that we'll we'll know where to look it's sort of like the block tournaments from back when that was a format that wizard supported where doing well in a block event gave you a very good inclination of what would succeed in that coming falls standard format uh so and you weren't guaranteed it but it was a, a really good way to get a beat on things if you knew how to evaluate the metagame and especially notice well what's only good because it's in block and what's good because it's a good card and will do well in standard down the road um, that could be Pelucranos. you know there's a possibility that snagging Pelucranos is at you know whatever pay 50 cents or whatever they're going to end up at uh in paper ahead of a return to fnms and then being able to buy list them at you know two or three bucks when all this comes back to the surface could be uh could work out quite well for you yeah that's a possibility the the other thing to consider is that cards like say nisa who shakes the world from war of the spark or uro got some amount of paper uh tarmac under their under their wheels and were proven staples both digitally and in paper but as we move into the Icoria spoilers and beyond, there's no guarantee that the same... You don't always have a perfect mirror image between the online and offline metas. Sometimes you have a deck, for instance, that wants to demonstrate loops or something and requires shit tons of clicking online. And so less people will play it. It won't be as big a piece of the meta. Um, if it's harder to play when you have to use a mouse than it is in person. And, and vice versa, there can be... Uh, other scenarios that work better uh, in paper uh, online than in paper. Um, so some cards that might be dominating the online meta may not necessarily make the transition into paper. Um, there's also a possibility that people are, you know, much more in a position to be searching out budget decks when we get out the other end of this. If this goes on for six months and it's not until, say, the Zendikar pre-release that anybody gets to go to a pre-release, then I could easily see the month after that in Standard being people tentatively playing, if they're playing Standard and Paper at all, you know, playing cheaper decks than maybe they normally would. Yeah, that's also possible. Uh, I don't know. I, I would imagine the likelihood of people playing of a deck being less popular online because it's sort of click intensive is probably on the lower end of likely, given that we're talking about standard where you tend not to have as many infinite combos. Um, but I, I over, you know, as opposed to like modern, but I think that's uh, all valid questions, val valid ways to think about looking to of how to work with this data and how to put it to use in the future. And also so some valid pitfalls to be aware of yeah so over on the the modern side of things this is on magic online the there was a modern super qualifier um and you can assume that i think i think the the simplest assumption here is that whatever complex nonsense was supposed to happen with pro tours and qualifying for them just assume that you're playing in in funnel tournaments through the arena and magic online environments to qualify for whatever is going to replace the pro tour that will also be online. Just keep, be just keep playing events until wizards put something in the actual physical mail to you. That's when you sure. know you did well. <laughs> yeah, fair. Uh, and that's certainly your best, probably your best approach. So uh, the modern super qualifier that uh, standings were posted today, uh, first place was a dredge deck. 
Um, and notably here, uh, what if it was six weeks ago, I'd be excited to see two Ox of Agonis in there still and Merchant of the Veil, keeping in mind that the non-foil Merchant of the Veil showcases only showed up in collector boosters. Um, so I expect those eventually to be worth something on buy list. I, I noticed that there's the two Ox of Agonas. I'm going to go with Agonas. I think that's more likely than Agonas. Agonas, that sounds Greek to me. It all sounds Greek to me. Ha ha ha. As opposed to, I, given the way that Fournier talked about it, I would have anticipated a four of, but I'm, we're only seeing the two here. Yeah. I, you know, I've seen twos, threes, and fours in various lists over the last couple months. Um, but, uh, and more to the point, I've seen Ox show up in other kinds of lists lately. Uh, and I'm not sure if we're going to trip over any of these, uh, here shortly. Second place in the modern super qualifier was an Urza, uh, Uro Emery build, um, the usual nonsense. And then the thing that jumped out at me was there, I think third and fourth place in that tournament was a Ponza update that was running three uh, Clothis God of Destiny uh, and four Magus of the Moon, uh, with Magus of the Moon uh, featuring prominently in our top movers on Magic Online this week, suggests to me that a lot of people have been moving in on this deck. Um, It also runs four Season Pyromancer. If we were in happier circumstances and modern tournaments were firing, uh, there'd be some specs here I'd be looking, I'd be taking a look at Clothis pretty hard. Yeah, Clothis would be interesting. Magus of the Moon is oh, because he reprinted it in IMA. It might still be worth a shot if uh, if this was if you know we were talking about paper. Yeah, Clothis, Magus of the Moon, and Susan Pyromancer are what I'd be examining. Um, I, I, and I, I would actually argue that in on Magic Online, where people pivot in and out of decks significantly faster than in paper in many cases. Um, and especially during a strong onboarding period where a lot of new bodies are probably coming back to the platform and considering pay- playing a deck. Like, I haven't played Magic Online in four years or something, but I would consider buying in on Pioneer or Modern shortly here just to be able to play some Magic. Um, and I'm sure lots of other people are in the same boat. So I would be looking pretty hard at, like, Clothis is more or less flat on Magic Online. Uh, certainly worth keeping an eye on if you start to see an uptick. Uh, maybe that's a card you want to have some copies of. Uh, Magus of the Moon's already jumped pretty hard. Season Pyromancer is holding steady, and that's even uh, given that there are is a Modern Horizons flashback draft going on, I think starts tomorrow or the next day, um, depending on when you're hearing this, and runs for a week. So you'd, you would expect Pyromancer to be down heading into that, but it's actually heading up, which suggests that despite the people that are looking to unload copies before the price gets pushed down on them, from the influx of drafting, there are actually more, there's actually more demand being generated by people that want to get on the card and use it. Yeah. And has, have the, the modern horizons flashback drafts have not started yet. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. So this, this to me indicates that once those start, like the odds that people are going to want so much season power master that it's going to keep rising through the modern horizon flashback drafts is I would imagine unlikely. Um, so when that starts to plateau or suffer as the drafts are occurring, seems like that might be one of the cards to keep your eye on as it bottoms out. Um, again, not a moto guy. Hard, you can't make this as a hard sell. But if we're seeing a bunch more season pyromancer like this, um, and in, you know we already know the card is solid, and we're seeing it now in this new version of essentially a Ponza, 
worth considering at that as a at a floor. Also, and it, and it certainly jumps out at me that it, it wasn't just. Sometimes you see a deck like this. <clears throat> somebody comes out of left field with a Ponza deck at a Star City Games like Open or whatever, and finishes second. But then you don't see the, the deck on a top eight list again for months. In this case, it was third and fourth. So there's clearly a sub <clears throat> a subsection of the community that just just decided this is the right deck for this meta. They seem to be one card off on the main. The sideboard looks like it's pretty similar to. So the, it could be two people who were working together and both joined with the deck, and maybe they both had a good run with it. But you never know. I mean, there this is certainly a more real version of a modern deck than some of the other Ponza builds that were or have been a little more uh, fanciful with their card choices. These are all relatively real magic cards that really you're, you're it's your four your four magus of the moon and your three pillage are basically the the ponza ask component of this yeah can, can i make a point too by the way this forest art that magic online defaults to tell me that does not look like a card that you would see in like a hearthstone inspired board game like imagine they made a Hearthstone board game and like a forest card had a forest had to be represented. That is the art I would see on it. I haven't stared at at Hearthstone graphic elements much over the last couple of years, but yeah, I can sort of see it. It, it doesn't have to be Hearthstone specifically. It feels kind of cartoony, and it's it it does not look like a Magic card to me. Is basically uh, where I'm going with this. I, my issue with it is I don't think that the gold filigree that is in the foreground frames the selected art very well. Uh, I would agree with that as well. And that's true on the mountain, too, if you check it out. Yes, yeah, I see that. I don't, I'm, I'm not wild of these. I, I think I just would have pushed that out to the edges and used it as... I'm fine with the double border, but I would have put it on the edge. Well, they use the same frame as the original version, but the art should have been adapted for it better. Hmm. Wow, All right, hardly... so the rest, the rest of that top eight was a uh, Infect deck in fifth, a uh, Ulamog, Karn Liberated, Ugin, Walking Ballista, Worm Coil Engine, uh, Tron Ramp deck in sixth. Uh, seventh was Bant, uh, Super Friends Control, Jace the Mind Sculptor's to big and small Teferis, Ice Fang Quaddles, and Uros, etc., etc. And 8th place was a straight-up burn deck. Uros, so, Uros in that 7th place deck is kind of interesting because it looks like a straightforward blue-white control deck except for 3 Uros in the main. Uh, and Ice Fang Quaddles. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's it's like blue-white... Green, green, green cards for value, basically. They're just like yeah. card draw engines with incremental value. I think I think uh, you know if we ever get back to a world where people play Paper Magic, Uro is going to be probably worth checking out because I'm I you know let's see what's his price right now. Oh, Still time. holding relatively steady near thirty. Thirty. So I mean, if With you know, hunt. give it another month, see if that takes a beating because if he drops down to ten or fifteen bucks, that might be tempting after so, when we get back to the real world so somebody was asking me the other day why cards haven't nosedived even harder like why something like uro isn't just five dollars right now since 
nobody can get it for anything. And the reason for that is that repricing your inventory, if you're not using software to do it, where you can't just go, okay, 10% down on everything, is a serious hassle. Um, and if you're not worried about it selling or not selling, and you're not you know, in desperation mode trying to unload at any price, then your prices are going to be static and probably way out of date by the time it's all done. So for instance, on eBay, I have something like 600 listings. Well, I, I will try to get around to say pruning my 100 worst performers or something during this uh, staycation and try to get up to speed, but I'm going to be out of date. Like that's just, that just happens in the best of times. Um, so don't be that surprised when it take when prices do keep pushing down, but more on an incremental basis. I think what you're going to see is, you know, Euro is currently just below 30 for the lowest price copies on TCG. And then somebody's going to get a little more antsy about holding inventory and post it at 28 and 27 and 26. And the demand is probably not going to prop up the price. Because normally if, if a card is in high demand and people are undercutting each other, those copies get snapped off and push the price back up to its equilibrium point. But in this case where we might have, it's a buyer's market and we have way more sellers than buyers, you will expect to see prices drift down. Now, whether Euro gets to 25, 20, or 15, I'm not ready to say yet, but I'm very curious to see where we're at if we're still stuck at home in two months. Well, yeah, and I would wager that a lot of the sticky prices right now are attributable to people hoping this ends. You know, it's like, ah, uh, yeah, you know, I got these euros, you know, a month before all this started, and I don't really want to sell them yet. So I'm going to hold off and not, you know, sell my inventory. I'm not going to drop the prices. And maybe this will all be over in a month and the prices don't have to have changed that much. Um, and I kind of wonder if, you know, after a month, a month and a half, if maybe some of that will break and then you'll see kind of a, a more sudden drop as people accept the fact that this is not a one month event. It's a three to four month event. And, you know, they decide to start moving the prices. So it could be just people holding out. Yeah. So moving right along, we've got uh, Pioneer results as well uh, from this week. So the Pioneer preliminary, they didn't have a super tournament, but they, they have ongoing preliminaries that can get you into bigger tournaments. And 5.0 list jumped out at me was Mono White. Uh, so basically Walking Ballista and uh, Heliod. But was running two copies of Dragon Lord Ojitai along with their uh, Teferi Time Raveler 4 of Splash. Um, which is interesting to me because I've been running Ojitai in Jeskai Dragons, of course, in Pioneer, um, off on my own little tangent, and was thinking to myself that anybody that was serious would probably be running Dream Trawler. But I suppose here, because it's blue is a, more of a splash and they only have, let's see. Eight blue sources, nine blue sources, uh, in the deck. Um, it probably just yeah. makes more sense to run the the single blue pip. And they've got thirteen fortress, fountain, farmland, and then a port town. Oh yeah, so they've yeah, got yeah. a pretty healthy. But I mean, if you were mono white, splashing the blue is pretty easy. Um, this is an interesting deck. They basically took the concept of white weenie and cut some of the more mediocre smaller guys to slot in time raveler uh like these are the dragon lords 
some spell quellers, although those might be kind of part of White Weenie regularly. It's a, it's a an interesting. Oh technique. yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. I missed three spell quellers, so the the blue splash is a little deeper than I thought it was. Mm-hmm. Um, They're basically trying to go over the top of other blue white decks and other aggressive decks. It seems like, and I guess the Teferis. I wonder how much the Teferis give them uh, play against the control decks too. Because if you're playing any sort of control strategy, you put them on all sorcery speed, which means it blanks their counter spells. I don't know. It's a it's a fascinating approach to the to the to the archetype. I I'm not familiar enough with the deck or the format to offer too much insight. I, I suspect the biggest draw here is Teferi being present because that's the same reason I was willing to run with Ojitai in Pioneer. Because as you said, as you as Teferi shuts down instant speed interaction. Ojitai being tapped um, and therefore losing hexproof status is less dangerous when they have to operate at sorcery speed all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true as well. So they, so usually he's going to get, if you've got a Teferi on the board and you swing with Ojitai, that's not going to open them up to target him with a kill spell till at least on their turn. So you're going to get the chance to look at three cards, pick the best, put it in your hand. Um, and, and that, I, I have gotten people with that multiple times in Pioneer so far. Yeah, it, it's, it doesn't guarantee that he's always going to survive, but it certainly gives him a better shot than you would have had otherwise. Yeah, because when you're investing five mana, you want to at least get a card out of it. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of cool. Card. Teferi is not a fair card. Uh, <laughs> and I do wonder if that will be legal in Pioneer a year or two from now. It just seems like it's probably too good in general. Um, well, I, I'm assuming the power level of Pioneer is going to get higher because <laughs> it's full. It has a higher percentage of pushed sets um, when all is said and done. But I guess we'll see. Um, the next, the other five O in this prelim was Sultai Control. So again, four Uros here. Uh, two Ashiok Nightmare Muse in this Pioneer deck. Uh, Tamio Collector of Tales. Atrus Oracle of Half Truth. It's just like infinite value engines everything here is a two for one or a three for one courser of crucifix emrakul the promised end ishkana jace finn's prodigy murderous rider Seder wayfinder it's all bodies with benefits i, I had to, to double check really quick uh and you, you know your comment about pioneer power level is going to go up which might make teferi less relevant which i don't think is an unfair approach although teferi is 23rd in modern so <laughs> it seems yeah. like a higher power level doesn't necessarily cut him out of the out entirely yeah good point um all right so and then f- there was a, a cool list i saw here there was another celta listed for one oh yeah this one um a kethis list which is not something we uh haven't seen before just something we haven't seen lately in pioneer this is a Jace Wielder of Mysteries, two Liliana the Last Hope, four Teferi Time Raveler. Another card I would be looking for entry points on if things got nasty. Diligent Excavator, Emery, Lurker of the Lock, four Hope of Girapur, four Kethis the Hidden Hand, four Lazav the Multifarious. That's a mythic that could also take off if this deck posts up longer term. One Tashar, uh, Ancestor's Apostle, four Mox Amber, four T- Terrarion, two Wishclaw Talisman in the main. Mm-hmm. And one Oath of Kaya. That's uh, a new twist on the Kethis builds. Most of pres- the same core, but with some interesting tweaks. You know, I presume the Wishclaw Talisman is pri- you know, is being used in exactly the way I anticipated it being used in these types of formats, is you probably essentially cast it and activate it 
on the same turn or you you cast it one turn ahead of going off with it with the intention that your opponent never gets to use it like you're you're, you're okay paying three mana either in over the course of one or two turns for uh essentially demonic tutor that's that's good enough in pioneer i suppose yeah and i also thought it was curious there's two more ashiok nightmare muse in the sideboard of this deck so i mean ashiok could be underestimated overall in the long term well, you know, it's funny you say that uh, because I'm looking at... Because we're talking about Ashiac Nightmare Muse. Okay, sorry. I'm looking at a different one. In I was surprised in Modern to see the fifth most played card is Ashiac Dream Render, but that's a different Ashiac. Because Dream Render is a three-mana War of the Spark one that prevents people from searching the library and also exiles graveyards. Uh, Nightmare Muse is the one that the five mana one from Theros Beyond Death. What are those Ashiok stained glasses going for? I know they've already they had popped before this all kicked off. How many are left? Mm-hmm. War is such an interesting set. So many great cards. Super deep card pool. Infinite variations. So yeah, Ashiok Nightmare, Ashiok Dream Render Stained Glass is hovering around 12 bucks, and there are 27 results, and nobody has more than nine copies, and that's a rarity. Most are onesie, twosie, threesie. Um, and it, the ramp up to 20 and beyond is pretty clear. If this, if this wasn't what it is, <laughs> with everybody stuck at home, this yeah. would be a very legitimate paper pick right now for the short to midterm. I agree with you. That is my exact thought. Like, good pick, wrong time. I, I still might. I, I still might dip my toe in those waters and snap off a few low hanging copies, and then wait another month and see where we end up. The uh, not because I'm any rush, but I wouldn't. I, I'm probably going to be deploying five to ten percent of the capital I would normally be deploying in a month. It's got to go somewhere fun. Hmm. <laughs> I, I could just buy dollar general shares as well i suppose but there's something, something like especially like big c capitalist about buying dollar store shares <laughs> in this situation <laughs> you i mean you could save your money for a rainy day instead of spending it on fun stuff but yeah given, given that yeah. i live in a, a i i fortunately i'm on my side of the border um so we're, we're not true. getting a, sing, a single $1,200 check. Whereas a, not me, but my significant other will probably be getting a uh, a pretty sizable check from the government. We also already get a pretty decent baby bonus. You get paid to have babies up here. That must be nice. I pay a ton of money to do it. Yeah. Um, all right. So cool decks on, in Pioneer. Nothing super exciting in terms of like brand new archetypes breaking out hard. Um, a lot of inverter lists in the 4-1 territory that deck hasn't gone anywhere oh i did see a jundi deck that i liked um the 4-1 from man with plane 251 this was uh lilian of the last hope three bone crusher giant a courser of crucifix emrakul the promised end glory bringer ishkana three croxa 
One murderous rider, one pelucranos, four satyr where finder, scavenging goose, walking ballista, thought seize, traverse the open walled, abrupt decay, fatal push, grizzly salvage, and Coligan's command. Interesting, right? Like this is the Sultai list, but you take out the blue and you swap in the the uh, red cards. So you have Croxa instead of Uro. What is the What is the angle here? I have no idea. I don't I don't I'm not playing enough Pioneer right now to know why I want to be in Jund instead of Sultai. I don't know if the, the this deck is tailored to beat the Sultai deck and otherwise have many of the same advantages. Hmm. Interesting. Like you're getting you're basically getting Bonecrusher Giants, Glorybringer, Croxa. I mean it's gotta be you've gotta be doing it command. because you want Croxa. Right, it's gotta be because you want Croxa. Maybe Colgon's command, but I feel like the re- I feel like if you're going, why aren't I? Why would I play this over Simic? You're like, I'm gonna put Crocs in my deck and then build a deck around having that instead. I wonder if the Colgan's commands are supposed to be targeting walking ballistas. Does that even work? They try to go off with Helio because uh, it destroys it. It doesn't care about how many counters are on it. But you can just if. They would have to have enough counters no. on the walking ballista to continue activating in response to it. Yeah. In which case it doesn't do anything because they can just kill you in response. Yeah. Anyway, uh, research to be done there as I'm diving in on Magic Online this week. Uh, also, blue-white decks doing okay in Pioneer. Some of the sh- some on the Heliod ballista side and some on the more controlling side with three Narset and three of each of the Teferis. Uh, so... Then we can move right along here. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the top movers on Magic Online this week. We've got a fairly interesting set of candidates. Uh, first thing I noticed was Liliana of the Veil in a Strahd version, going from about 17 to 20, almost 22 or so for about 30% gain. Probably on the back of uh, modern Jundex uh, being picked up and uh, flushed out by people that might have played them in paper and want to play a little online. Um these next two are pretty interesting. The Kaladesh Invention versions of both Soul Ring and Mana Crypt. The Soul Ring's going from 15 to 20 or so for about 30% gains, and the Mana Crypt's going from 6 to 850 for almost 50% gains. This is people uh, blinging out their commander decks on Magic Online. Yeah, that's, that's surprising because you would anticipate somebody coming to the format to EDH Someone who played EDH in paper, can't do it anymore, decides to start playing online, would just buy the cheapest versions of cards because they're this is a, a holdover. They're not intending to be doing this for all that long. But, you know, a 30% bump in the invention one, people are springing for the cool copy, which is arguably less relevant online than it is in paper. I suppose we're looking at a 30% increase here. So it's not like this went from 15 to 50 or 45. It's it picked up a couple bucks. And given that most of our boosts this week are EDH related as it is, it's not that surprising the price is ticked up. Um, so I, I can see that. And it's also $15 compared to the, like what, three or $400 for a paper one. So and there are enough people out there who would be like, why would I pay two cents for a soul ring when I can pay fifteen bucks for the cool one? Uh, now, if this was yeah, a two hundred percent gain, I would be surprised. 
And so for example, in contrast, Commander 2019 Soul of Rings on Magic Online are $3. So they are playing at least five times more and now almost seven times more to have the fancy Soul Ring Online. <laughs> so not not quite the 300 or 100 times more you pay to play the same card in paper, but still impressive. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it suggests that as silly as premium skins for digital cards has always seemed to me <laughs> that not everybody agrees. Yeah, well, you know, I have always found the premium digital stuff to also be kind of goofy. And that that extends beyond Magic, too. All, all of these free-to-play games essentially function on a cosmetic uh, freemium model, right? Like any free-to-play yeah. game essentially charges you to look cooler. Online. I've been playing a lot of. Hmm? Go ahead. I was saying, and and that's all. That's always kind of sit uneasy with me. I don't really ever pay money for cosmetic effects in video games. Uh, the only time, really, that I think I've ever spent more than like two bucks in one in on a single game was uh, buying a supporter pack for Path of Exile, but. It came with cosmetics, but that's not why I bought it. It came with some stuff to make your inventory management easier, which is what I wanted. The cosmetics were just a, a fun bonus. Um, but I, I also respect that I have, I think I've always been on the outside of this. Even within my peer group, I seem more um, aware, less interested in these types of, of cosmetic improvements than my immediate peers are, my friends. And I guess... At the ripe old age of 35, I'm just going to get okay boomered by the Zoomers because I don't think cool looking digital <laughs> stuff is worth paying money for, which I, I can accept, right? Like I could, I will accept the okay boomer because I think that it's not worth spending seven times more money on the orange soul ring online than the silver one. Yeah. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll say this, good art online at least makes more sense than that weird shimmery pretend faux foil effect that they've <laughs> been leaning on for so long. I mean, getting foils online makes no sense. The only reason they were ever worth anything is that you could turn them into real foils. Mm-hmm. I'm just cheap. <laughs> I, a part of it is that I'm just cheap. All right. So we got Eidolon of the great revel, uh, revel here. Um, uh, Going from about 850 to 1150, 35% gains. That's on the back of both Pioneer and Modern, making use of the card in red decks. Uh, Field of the Dead uh, at an M20, going from about 9 to 13, 40% gains. Uh, still seeing uh, plenty of use across formats. Uh, Ulamog, that's, that's the Ceaseless Hunger. EDH, show- right? Isn't that banned in Pioneer and Modern? Uh, no, yeah, no, standard no, no, Pioneer. No. So- is it getting played in modern at all? Yeah, there's a modern deck, so it's it's probably a combination of EDH and modern. Like there was there was trailing modern demand that might be slightly reinforced, and then add EDH to that where it's a, it's a real very real card. Yeah, it's not even in the top fifty on uh, in, on modern, so I would presume it's primarily EDH then. Makes sense. Uh, Ulamog ceases hunger at a BFC from nine to fourteen or so for about fifty-five percent gains. That's going to be on the back of a combination of uh, ongoing modern play and some EDH uh, demand as well. And then 
few more of these pretty clearly all about the EDH. Timna the Weaver out of the treasure chest going from 5 to $8, almost 60% gains. Um, Kindred Discovery, 330 or so to $6, 83% gains. Very much an EDH card. Carpet of Flowers out of Urza Saga from uh, 10 to almost 20 for almost 90% gains. Uh, EDH and Legacy, as I understand it. I think we talked about it last week as well. Selvala, Heart of the Wilds, that was just reprinted in Mystery Boosters, but Mystery Boosters didn't come to Magic Online. So it's in the treasure chest there and going from 460 or so to about $9 for 90% gains. Very much an EDH card. Cabal Coffers out of Torment, 4 to $8 for almost 100% gains. Uh, a staple of Black Decks and EDH. And then why don't you give us the, the top mover of the week? Yeah, top mover of the week is a card that I can emotionally support. Magus of the Moon out of Future Sight, five and change to almost thirteen dollars for our only the only card that really broke over hundred percent gain, about hundred thirty percent. Definitely coming out of those green red Ponza lists that we were seeing um, earlier uh, with uh, uh, oh Cloythus. The IMA version also picked up fifty six percent. I guess people wanted the Future Sight border more. Sure, why not? Uh, and, there's, a, and there's just and there's just less of that supply in the market. So anybody that buys them, the replenishment is lower. The, you know, that's another one that is to me very funny is older versions of cards on MTGO <laughs> having success, right? Like the future site version of Magus of the Moon relative to the IMA version. Like, why would you ever pay more for the future site version? Oh. Yeah, because I guess because you again you wanted to look sexier, but it's inter- what's interesting about Magic Online is that though it is they are digital cards that could be replicated or um, released at any point the Wizards wants into that ecosystem, because they have been relatively stingy over time. You know, you have to wait for the relevant flashback draft to come or for the card to get added to treasure chests at a high drop rate for there to be a significant restocking of the card. It means that it functions very similarly to physical cards um, the in the sense that there really is a finite number of these digi- each of these digital assets. And even though they're not um, uh, serial numbered from the player's perspective, they probably are from Wizards' perspective. So they know exactly how many copies are in circulation at any given time. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives them a lot of data to chew on when they're deciding what to release, how and when. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I would hope that Wizards knows exactly how many copies of everything exists and where it is, and I would be aghast if they didn't have that information available to them. But it's Moto; anything is popular. Or, I'm sorry, anything, anything, is, anything is possible. possible. That's sure. what I meant to say. Uh, and you know, I can I can look at this and think that it's ludicrous that somebody would pay extra money for the future site version over the IMA version of Magus of the Moon on, on Moto, but clearly people do and they can they have been in the past and they're going to continue to do it in the future. So even if I think it's dumb, I you know, I still need to recognize the financial implications of that. Yep. Uh so Moving on over to topic of the week, we're going to give some status updates on the state of the magic economy as a whole. Um, mostly bad news. Uh, I feel like we're sitting at a regular old news desk, dropping all the, the shade on everybody. 
this week, the the bigger news included that both Channel Fireball and Miniature Market had basically suspended their buy lists. Channel Fireball being one of the biggest players in uh, Magic the Gathering for many years. That's going to spook some folks. Um, probably a combination of inefficiency in being able to process buy lists if you can't have your staff come into work and cash flow issues related to sales being significantly down vendors i've been talking to have been giving me numbers like 30 to 60 percent of sales having just been vaporized in less than a month yeah it's it's pretty rough. Uh, I can only imagine what it looks like if you've got the private numbers from Channel Fireball and Star City and these guys. And the suspension of buy lists is definitely, I I almost want to say sooner than anticipated. Uh, I mean, Channel Fireball cut those off. Uh, that was late last week, right? I think. Uh, which is, you know, a week and a half. Last couple. Yeah. Last couple I mean, days here. Last couple days, yeah. Oh, even though CFB Events is a separate business, they're both presumably ultimately owned and operated by John Sasso, and the, you know, they took a major hit in the magic. All those like a lot of the fixed costs related to running Magic Fest, I don't know, being lost <laughs> probably, and then that loss of revenue, you know, that that setting up that entire organization completely hinges upon is like cutting them off at the ankles like they're it's a terrible terrible situation i i usually run a booth at fan expo here which is our san diego comic-con up here in canada that goes down last week and in august and i've been waiting for over a month now to get a straight answer from them about what they're going to do if i go ahead and send them the rest of the money like basically you pay you put a deposit down at like a quarter of the cost of the booth when you leave the venue so last august and now they want the next, like, 50% of it. And I said, okay, like, happy to give it to you, as long as you're telling me that you're refunding this. If you're telling me that this is a void and you're you're just going to take people's fees and use them to keep afloat, if the COVID crisis continues and nobody's allowed to go to that event in August, then I would much rather not cut you that check, thanks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a tricky and that's a tricky one because I've had that booth for almost a decade. Uh, it's usually good for somewhere between six thousand and ten thousand a weekend. And if you don't send them the money, then they have every right to just give the booth to somebody who will, and you will never get that spot again because mm. it's generally a jam packed show. It, well, it, I guess the, the silver lining here is that everyone is in the exact same situation you're in. Yep, true. Although, although I think there are there are some organizations where they probably need for that show to happen. Like if, if you run a booth there that brings in a quarter of your annual income or something, some of the bigger booths might be in that situation. Um, you might have already prepaid for the whole thing. You might have, You might need it to happen. Like, you're going to be sunk one way or the other if it doesn't, so you're definitely going to pay for it because mm-hmm. you don't want to lose your slot. Um, it's also possible that so many people end up pulling out of that. Like, even if it can go down, maybe a lot of people just don't think it's wise. Like, the culture may have just shifted. People just may be avoiding big events like that, like the plague. Yeah. Just literally, they're worried about the plague. And yeah. so, you know, their their traffic could go from people lined up for blocks to get in to a trickle 
in which case it won't really even be worth being there. It's, it's tricksy. It is, and I, I don't envy the people who have to make these types of decisions. And I've also got something like, I don't know, 40,000 in toy inventory sitting in a storage room that needs to go <laughs> needs to go somewhere and get sold somehow. Ugh. So, Hey, do you want my San Diego Comic-Con 2015 <laughs> uh, toys? I've been sitting on those for years. And they've you're, never you're, sold. You're, you're you're playing your usual ball game there. That's last man standing. You're probably like the last guy that has any of that. Uh, that's not what eBay tells me. I really? tried. Well, my goal was not to do that. When I bought them, it, I looked. They were going up for sale. We knew what was going to be for sale on the Hasbro website yep. ahead of time. And I knew I was getting the magic cards. So I went and checked out eBay what the pre-sales on those products were. And they looked good. So I bought them all, but then by the time I was able to get them listed on eBay and shipping, they were already down to basically what I paid. And I was just like, well, I'll wait. And here we are like five years later and I had to move them when we bought the house. And I'm like, these stupid ass fucking boxes and trying to keep them in mint condition because they're not magic cards. Yeah. They're yeah. gigantic yeah. Transformers boxes. And I'm like, uh <laughs> What I should probably do is when I pick up at a, some of my stuff that gets dumped at your place, uh, when, whenever that is uh, physically possible, should probably just pick up some of the choicer pieces there and throw them into our inventory list for you so we can sell them for you and send you the cash. Because yeah, some, nice. some of them may be dead inventory. Some of them probably are not. Um, like, I, don't, I don't know what you've got, but there's probably yeah, some have goodies it. there. I haven't checked in a while. I think the prices are roughly floating around what I paid for them. But once I eat the eBay fees and the shipping fees, it quickly becomes ugly. And it's like, yeah, it's well, tough. I guess it's fine to just leave them in the closet and hope this turns around. Uh, but that's that's my that's a <laughs> that's a decision made uh, half out of uh, a, a willingness to be patient with a with a financial decision and uh, too lazy to bother <laughs> doing yeah, the legwork to sell the damn things. Your your, your usual mo. Yeah. The uh, so one of the other big uh, announcements this week was Mage Market uh, shut down. This was a startup out of the West Coast Accelerator program. I want to say Y Combinator. Yeah, Y Combinator. Um, and it was uh, a guy from Europe, Pier, that was uh, heading that project up, and they had been kind of floundering around trying to find their business model and they misstepped a couple one too many times a few months back where they were um advertising a financing solution which really wasn't that big a deal in my view like people were calling it predatory i thought it was kind of a big whatever like (laughs) I, i don't think people people were likely to end up entrapped in any kind of major way by that the system they were proposing to set up but that but that wasn't that wasn't renting decks that was like a loans to buy magic cards sure but my point to everybody was like sure but like you're from a country if we're talking about the US where the average household has five credit cards and carries 30,000 plus in consumer debt like at extremely at much higher interest rates than they were proposing so if if you are already buying magic cards on your credit card this in theory could have been a lower rate well, you know, I, I I had some discussions about this online. It it basically was 
sort of equivalent to like payday lending. Like, yes, there, you know, the, the, the comparison to credit cards was happening a lot at the time being. And I, I understand that it's a, a similar system in concept, but this is a, was essentially a loan for the sole purpose of taking of buying luxury goods, which is different than well, a credit card, d- which is d- discre- discretionary collectibles. I mean, they're not luxury goods. I, the, I, unless, I, you're, how, unless you're buying a full Jun deck. How can you define magic cards as anything other than a luxury good? Like well, a, luxury, is, a luxury good is a is a high price tag per item. So if you're uh, buying a, a black list, uh, it's, a, it's a luxury good. If you're buying a $10 card, it's discretionary impulse purchase. The, if, you're, if, you're, if you're buying if you're if you're financing i'll grant you this if you're financing a fifteen hundred dollar deck then and you could have bought a fifty dollar board game then by comparison you have you have selected the high-end option the, the problem is that credit cards can be used to buy anything so yes people would make the exact same purchase with a credit card to buy magic cards that they would to buy the deck through mage market. The problem is, is that a credit card can do anything. So, and that's what it stands. That's what it's there for is, is any of these types of products. Whereas the mage market deal was like, the only thing this is for is magic cards. Like this is explicitly a loan to buy these types of goods, which is exactly the type of thing you should not be taking out a loan to buy. And I kind of compare it to taking out a loan for gambling, which (laughs) I mean, well, which is, which is also like a, would be an atrocious thing to do. I I can think of lots of ways to throw that people constantly throw their money away at, you know, beers on a Friday night, $80 bill per Friday or something. That can be significantly worse for you than what they were proposing. And the funny thing is, the the really ironic part is that I don't I don't even think that they thought this this was going to be a major part of their offering. They've just no. been you know floundering around trying to like throw out some ideas to see what would stick. And I don't think that they were hardcore about this being like a, a foundational element of their business. And he ended up getting raked over the coals for it. And I don't think he saw it coming. Um, it was a third party service that they were just reselling and taking a cut of. I'm sure. So, hmm. um, but the, the main thrust of their platform was that it was just going to be a next gen trading platform where they could, you know, autom- automatically match buyers and sellers, not unlike what we did on shelf life, um, my own project from years back. And the, I sent him a note afterwards saying, you know, for what it's worth, your design dev on this project in the early stages was industry leading, like all the stuff, if Pierre was coding that himself um, and designing it himself, he does really nice work. Um, and had if if that had been applied to a platform like, say, eBay or TCG Player, it would have been like a big leap forward. But the rest of their offering, they struggled with the same thing that a lot of people do when they're trying to build platforms and have a special expertise in, in this, having spent four years building my own, um, which is that you, you, you're creating incremental quality of life improvements for people that often don't resonate hard enough to get them to switch out of their normal habits. So yes, eBay is brutal. It is stuck in a time warp, not unlike Magic Online. It hasn't really changed much in 15 years. If anything, it's getting worse. Um, They're about to force everybody to stop using PayPal and force them to use their own payment system. I'm sure that's going to be a shit show. But but they um, they have the market. Like that's where people go to do things. And so they move billions of dollars worth of goods for people. And if you want to 
you want to be in the game, you got to be on TCG Player or Magic Card Market or eBay or Amazon or showing up at on the GP floors if you want to get a lot of business done. And Mage Market just didn't have a, the expertise or the runway because, you know, as an accelerator uh, graduate, they probably they might have had quarter of a million to a million dollars on that runway would be my guess. And it's really hard to build critical mass in that stage. And your investors are using a shotgun approach. They're investing in, you know, five, 10 businesses a year. They're only expecting one of them to go to the moon, if that. And the rest of you, they expect to fail. So you've only convinced them that you are viable. You, and I don't, you know, I was a little put off by the way Pierre handled the announcement of them closing up shop this week because he seemed to hang it on COVID. And I thought that was disingenuous <laughs> because I believe that that business was dead in the water with or without COVID. All right, um, well, I, can fully, I can fully believe that COVID drives the nail in and made it practically impossible for them to get additional support or runway leeway from their investors. But I don't actually think the business was profitable. Like if something like Channel Fireball goes down, you're talking about a titan of our niche you know, collapsing under the weight of lost revenue and present expenses. It's It was a very viable business that lasted a long time and then encountered extraordinary circumstances. Mage Market was a business that had never even come close to profitability, that was just burning, like in pure burn land where they're just spending money and not making anything and was going to get rolled up one way or the other. Uh, uh, all of this sounds very much like what you would expect out of a Y Combinator project. And if you're unfamiliar with Y Combinator, it's like a elite tier Silicon Valley programming, coding. It's an accelerator. Yeah. Uh, well, you say accelerator and I know what that is, but I'm guessing a lot of people listening to the podcast doesn't Google it if you don't understand it. But you, you, uh, you, basically, it, you basically sign away like 10% uh, of your business for like 50 or to $100,000. Yeah. And, and they... They introduce you to people that they they have the connections to make sure you get in front of the people that might give you the next big chunk of money. Yeah. And then you spend three to six months with them working on your business, building it out, trying to get your uh, you know initial version of your product out the door and start building up revenue so that you can demonstrate that you're worth a further investment to then try to make a, a run for profit. Yeah, and they get people like Wozniak and some of these guys come in and talk and work with you and help provide direction for your company. So it's supposed to be getting essentially a way for venture capitalists to get the ideas and, and talent in front of them. In any case, it doesn't surprise me that somebody coming out of Y Combinator would have a platform that was technically years ahead of everything else operating in the space, but just totally missing the mark on what they needed to be doing and the best way to accomplish it as a business um, and, and understanding the market because all of their skills were in the technical side of things, not the other side of it. And I guess their um, advisors didn't really get them on the right track as it is. What? So that sounds familiar. And just, I just, as a side note, uh, if I was in mage market and the exact same thing as you've described happened where they were probably in rough shape as it is. And then COVID kind of pushed them over the edge. And I had the full 
I would absolutely blame it on COVID because even if I knew damn well that that wasn't the truth, my post would be like, yeah, things were going great until COVID. We had to shut down the warehouse and now we won't work. So bye. Like, I'm not going to be like, yeah, uh, we were doing garbage business for the last nine months and uh, this is a nail in the coffin. That's not what I'd write down. So I get it. I get it, guys. I, I, I did try to warn him that one of their, their pivot points was just was going to be a dead end and that was the concept that they were going to um physically vet cards for people so if you're buying yeah. a, say six hundred six hundred dollar dual land or something you you send it to get the seller to send it to them first they verify that it's real and then send it on to you as much as that sounds like it would tap into some subsegment of the market that has anxiety around these issues it's just it's in truth it's a non-issue the kind of people that are worried about that kind of thing would prefer to buy in person. Um, they, they just won't buy online. They'll do it in, in a way that allows them to handle the product before, before they take it home. Um, and the kind of overhead that you need to put in place to support that when only a fraction of the people using your platform overall are going to be interested in it just doesn't make any sense because you got you got to run an, uh, a warehouse, even if it's a small one. And you got to somebody have somebody full time employed that can vet that stuff as it comes through, and then you're going to inevitably have the same kind of issues that buy lists have, um, where there are debates back and forth with their clients about what the grade of the card was that got sent in. Like e- even when you have that that in, even the grading companies, the Becketts of the world, um, are constantly embroiled in little scandals because yeah. there are disagreements about about what was done, and they've been caught cheating the market and so forth so it's not even like the collectibles market broadly uh has a lot of faith in the authentication systems yeah it's all i I figured that was the case uh i they got raked over the coals for that too every vendor on my twitter timeline was like uh trying to authenticate these cards is at best not a good business strategy for this market and also basically complete garbage and you're all stupid but i think that a lot of the vendor type personalities on my timeline already had it out for mage market to begin with so they were not giving them any leeway on that discussion yeah so the other uh news was that i'm sure everybody kind of assumed this but now we know the names of the magic fest events the channel fireball events has officially canceled so that's uh, the one here in Toronto, Prague, Seattle, Valencia, and Providence, and that's just for now. Um, yeah, my they guess did is say that in the announcement they said they're going to do uh, review review the July ones in May. Right, and my guess is I wouldn't count on the July ones either. No, I wouldn't. I think that those are probably uh, are gone too. I think you're not going to see any ma- magic paper events until. And, and August, the thing is probably. that you, even if they said, "Hey, we we really feel strongly that July ones are going to happen," would any of us believe? Like, would any of us be willing to book tickets for anything in no. the current climate? No, no, and I, I think most people would be. I mean, you'd have people that would book the ticket and hope to get lucky, but uh, yeah, it's not going to happen. All right, so we. This is normally where we would have our cards to watch, specific picks, and I'll probably drop some longer range paper picks into the Discord for our pro traders, just because they tend to be a little hungrier than the average listener. But the best information we have right now was uh, an updated conversation with our boy Oko Assassin, who more or less uh, oversees our Magic Online uh, channel. Uh, with his constant stream of portage uh, of his own activities, uh, speculating on Magic Online. And I was asking him today what he thought the stuff to watch was this week, and his biggest highlight 
was the Modern Horizons 1 flashback drafts that are going to run for a week uh, starting in a couple days, um, or maybe the day you're hearing this if you're hearing it uh, outside of the ProTrader program. So top targets there are going to be the key playables that drop really hard, uh, Mythics and Rares, Mythics typically better, stuff like Force of Negation, Ice Fang, Coatl, Plague Engineer, Prismatic Vista, and Archmage Charmer, are cards he mentioned to watch, which all make sense to me because they are cards that I was either uh, selling uh, recently in paper with relative ease. Like I sold place out of foil coattles well into the the uh, advent of the plague times. Um, and I probably sold, I don't know, four or $500 worth of coattles since the start of the year. Um, on the mythic side, of course, we mentioned earlier Season Pyromancer and then Urza Highlord Artificer and Renan Six. Um, RL cards to watch this week on Magic Online. Um, what you're looking for here is that the flashback drafts push them down uh, pretty hard, and you're looking for to f- try to approximate the floor and then grab them and wait for them to start to dry up as the um, entire community moves past the supply that is injected by the drafts and starts to slowly overcome it. Yeah, this all sounds about right and, and roughly what I would expect. And, and you know, even for someone like me who who hasn't really gotten into moto speculation, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen, um, at least it's good to know that you know, the same principles still apply. You have a huge influx of new cards coming um, that is going to be a limited time. We know the prices are going to come down on those temporarily as the market floods with more copies due to the drafts. And then as soon as those drafts are over, the price is going to start to climb. And the cards that you should look at are the, you know, the competitive, relevant, multi-format types of cards. So your fundamentals still exist. Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll uh, we'll keep it relatively clean then and wrap that up. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? I am on Twitter, as always, at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, and again, here every week. How about you, James? You guys can still find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles at mtgprice.com. And I am constantly haunting our uh, Pro Trader Discord service. If any of you are not Pro Traders but have questions about uh, Magic Economy, your collection, what to do, etc., through this tough period, feel free to hit me up for free advice on Twitter. I'll be happy to help. Um, also, like to remind our listeners to check out the mgtprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord that will drive better returns and save you money. Playing Magic the Gathering, which is increasingly important. Um, also want to remind everybody that we do have a program running on the MTG Price Twitter account where if you have a sale that you're trying to get done, we will... Uh, Add a 5% discount for your potential buyer. Um, Details can be found on our Twitter account, and you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter if you want to discuss. Uh, Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering, single sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. This would be a good time to put that promo code to use picking up some board games for you and your loved ones who are stuck inside. They are a very good rate of return on your money. Um, And if you don't know where to start, I would be happy to offer recommendations if you ping me on Twitter. Um, but that brings us to the end of episode. Oh boy, is this 213? 213. 
always a good time. Uh, brave new world for us here as it is for you guys, but I'm glad to be going through it with you, everyone. Um, and I will see you again next week, James. Stay safe, Travis. Stay safe, everybody. And we'll see you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.